Welcome. Can you hear me loud enough? This is not loud enough, right? It is. So how is this? Is louder? That's good, okay. You probably have to turn it down for... I have to turn it up for me. I have such a soft voice, so speak. Let, let me know if it's not loud enough. And we have all these speakers in the ceiling, so it's I can't really tell in, in this room w whether you can hear me or not because I'm used to when there's two speakers behind me, I kind of hear myself. But here, I don't. I just, uh, you know. Anyway, so you have to speak up because the most important things I have to say, I say very softly. <laughs> So let's start over again here. So welcome. And this is a welcome to your meditation home for the week. And um, now with this 7.30 start, as we kind of enter into the contemplative mode or the practice mode and uh, moving into silence for the retreat. And um, I'm very happy to share this with you and be here in this room with you all together. We would like uh, this room to be a comfortable place for you. So hopefully I see there's more cushions and mats on the floor and there's more chairs. So hopefully you find what you need. Um, uh, and uh, sometimes during a Dharma talk, many people want to sit in chairs. And uh, if there's not enough chairs in here, then you can always go to that fire closet and bring in the black chairs and for the Dharma talk if you want. And... Um, So now that you've been here for a few minutes, the retreat center, at this point, do you have any questions about being here? Anything that would help you feel more at ease? Or does everything seem pretty straightforward at this point? Great, welcome. So. So can you hear me? If you cannot hear me, raise your hand. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit about samadhi, which is usually translated as concentration. The Buddha's teachings are very extensive, and one way of beginning to get a handle on them is to Look, the, look at them in terms of sila, samadhi, and panya. Sila is morality or ethics, keeping the precepts, for example. Samadhi is usually translated as concentration, and panya is wisdom. We could say that what the Buddha was teaching was clean up your act, learn to concentrate your mind, Use your concentrated mind to investigate what's actually happening and gain wisdom. But the translation of samadhi as concentration I don't think is actually the most helpful. Concentration has this furrowed brow sense to it. Uh, the word I prefer is indistractability. Samadhi refers to the ability to bring your mind to a state where you don't get distracted. 
right? This is a useful thing if you're going to investigate reality, right? So this is what the Buddha was talking about when he talked about samadhi. I'll continue to use the word concentration simply because that's, well, that's what everybody uses. Uh, you should translate both samadhi and concentration into indistractability, which I think is not actually a legal English word, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, there are a number of methods for generating an indistractable mind. The method that the Buddha described as sama samadhi, usually translated as right concentration, but perhaps more appropriately as appropriate, uh, appropriate indistractability, was the four jhanas, the four states of mind that bring the mind to a state of indistractability. These jhanas are talked about in numerous suttas. There's a whole samyutta on the jhanas in the Samyutta Nikaya. They clearly were an important aspect of the Buddha's teachings. And so, at least at the beginning of this course, I'll talk some about jhana practice, what it is, how you do it, how it's used. But tonight what I wanted to say were principally two warnings. The first warning is that if you have any expectations of experiencing jhanas on this retreat, you're in trouble. This is because expectations are the worst thing you can bring on any retreat. All that you can really expect is it's not going to be like you expect it to be. My own retreats started going a lot better when I finally realized that the attitude to have was show up and see what happens. You know, it's, it's a matter of fully showing up. It's not just physically showing up, but fully showing up and see what happens. Uh, I, I went into... <laughs> Well, who knows how many retreats with an agenda. And yeah, occasionally it got met. And a lot of times it didn't get met. And some of the best stuff that ever happened to me on retreat, I had no clue about. And if it had just been my agenda, I would have missed out on the good stuff. So I suspect there are at least a few people in here that, you know, maybe heard of jhanas, heard I knew something about the jhanas, came in hoping to learn about jhanas. If that's not you, you're in great shape. But if that is you, I suggest you take your expectations, your hopes, your desires, and yeah, dump them back out on uh, the road out there or something. Yeah, that's probably not going to work. All right, so the best thing I can tell you is learning any meditation technique is like following a set of directions to go someplace. If you want to go to Denver, right? And somebody says, okay, well, go out of the parking lot 
and you make a left turn and then you make a left turn onto that road and you follow it around and you got to make another left and you know and then you get on 17 and if you start looking for Denver before you get out of the parking lot you're probably going to drive in the ditch before you even get to highway 17 if you're focused on the destination it's not going to work what you need to know is where you are and what you're supposed to do where you are and what landmark you're looking for for when you start doing something else. All right, so I'll give you the instructions for entering the jhanas tomorrow morning. And your job is to figure out where you are in the instructions if you want to play with them and do what you're supposed to do there. And don't worry about getting to the jhana, just do what you're supposed to do at that point. And then, yeah, when you see the landmark to do something else, you do the something else. You don't have to know what Denver looks like. If the instructions are any good, you'll wind up downtown, right? You don't have to know what the jhana actually looks like. If I give you good instructions and you follow them, you'll wind up in the jhana. But I will give you some hints about what it looks like. So that's the first warning. No expectations. And that applies to everything that you might have expectations about for this retreat. The second warning, if you start working with concentration and you have any unresolved psychological issues, they might show up. It's just the way it goes. If, if you have? If you have. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to say all of your unresolved <laughs> issues will show up, but if you have some. I mean, you know, sometimes I teach in places besides California. <laughs> so, if you have any unresolved psychological issues and you start getting concentrated, you don't have to get to the jhanas, you just have to get quiet. Then that stuff can show up. Uh, normally, if we have those unresolved things, you know, we got it under control. Yeah, yeah, I got, I'm, I'm fine, right? right. You're using some of your energy to keep whatever that unresolved stuff is sort of pushed away. And then you start getting really focused in one direction and you got no energy pushing that stuff away and it pops up. This is actually a good thing. It may not be a pleasant thing. But it's much better to get that stuff up where you can deal with it than be carrying it around like a 20-pound backpack you don't know you're wearing, or a 50-pound, or a 1,000-pound, or whatever. Okay? Uh, you will have interviews on this retreat. Uh, when you come for an interview with me, I want to know what's happening in your meditation practice, you know, so I can help you tune whatever's going on. If what's happening in your meditation practice is your stuff has come up, then I guess that's what we talk about. Uh, I guess you should realize, though, of course, my background is in uh, computer programming, so... Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we'll see what we can do. So, no expectations, and your unresolved stuff might show up. But that's not a pleasant thing, but it might be a really good thing. I would say on half the retreats I've taught, the person that had the most profound retreat wasn't someone who got into any jhanas or anything, but someone who had their stuff come up and they dealt with it in a really skillful way. So, yeah, 
Not fun, but definitely useful. The whole idea now behind the jhanas is to give you a mind that is concentrated, clear, sharp, bright, malleable, wieldy, and given to imperturbability so that you can direct and incline it to knowing and seeing. In other words, doing insight practice, investigating what's actually happening. And the primary arenas that the Buddha talked about for investigating are this body and this mind. You might have heard of the four establishments of mindfulness, right? <coughs> mindfulness of the body. Oh, yeah, that's body, right? Mindfulness of Vedana. We'll talk about that. Your initial categorization of sensory input. Definitely mind. Mindfulness of mind states. Mind. Mindfulness of phenomena, principally mental phenomena. So, clean up your act. Learn how to become indistractable. Use your indistractable mind to investigate what's actually happening. This is what the Buddha was teaching. percent confidence in the value of doing what Lee talked about and being on retreat and both working with the unresolved issues that might come up. It's a being very powerful thing to do and um, necessary for our society, not just for us as individuals, and also to do the deep practice of meditation. When the unresolved issues are not there, then we are dealing with the unresolved issues in other ways, indirectly, by having insight and looking deeply. And it's a very profound process. And I wanted to s emphasize that because of uh, coming here today. Um, there are people who decided not to come on retreat today because they felt they sh wanted to be at some of the big demonstrations uh, around because of how significant that was for them to respond to what's happening in our country. And um, I think that's a wise choice some people made. But I think that uh, for me, that um, this is actually a powerful thing to do, given the challenges of our times, that someone has to do this deep inner work that this practice uh, involves, that someone needs to know how to uh, be peaceful in a profound way while we champion peace. Someone needs to know how to love while we try to create a society where there's love more than hate. Someone needs to know how to uh, be wise because they know themselves inside and out as we try to live a, create a wise society where we care for each other. Someone needs to have gone through and worked through their, uh, their deep levels of clinging and our capacities for greed and for hate, fear, and really kind of gone to the other side and really seen what's there and come back with a whole different perspective of what's possible that's often people don't know about. Even people with very good intentions don't know some of the depth of what's possible. And, um, and I, thi I, so I think that uh, 
what we're doing here um, is a very important for our society. As someone implied earlier today, it's a political act in itself in that we're creating and making ourselves as individuals and as a community into people who are agents of change, agents for peace. We come back as peacemakers, hopefully. At least that, that's what my hope is. And I've, to, to a very big extent, uh, the, the primary motivation that I have for being a teacher and being a practitioner uh, is to alleviate suffering in our society. And uh, so both for individuals, but also for our society as a whole. And so I see this work. I wouldn't be doing this work if I didn't feel this was going to make a difference for our world. So I say all that in case some of you are a little bit, you know, feeling maybe a little ambivalent about being here at this particular juncture of our country and what's going on. And um, so um, Lee mentioned uh, Sila, Samadhi, and Panya, uh, these three aspects of the training. And I like to think of these as treasures that are on par with the three refuges, their treasures. And each of them, you know, are, it's a, to really discover, to really encounter sila, samadhi, panya, really encounter the practices of ver the, the, the capacities for virtue and integrity, to really encounter the movements of samadhi in our hearts and minds, to really encounter wisdom and insight it just feels like a, one of the greatest gifts in our life and uh, it's a real treasure that um, that we carry with us and have and it's a kind of inner wealth that is uh, possible to discover. And I say that as we uh, I talk a little bit about sila, about ethics and the precepts, that uh, uh, at the beginning of a retreat, we, uh, in order to establish the retreat, the container for the retreat, the environment for the retreat, uh, we collectively uh, commit ourselves to being ethical and um, following the what's called the five precepts, not to, not to kill, not to steal, not to engage in sexual misconduct, not to lie, and not to in intoxicate ourselves. And I think there's a very little chance that, uh, you know, that you're going to do these things here. Um, uh, so and I, 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 I'm impressed by over these years that I do retreats in the street environment that the people who come here tend to be f very ethical people. And it's inspiring to me, the goodness that comes in these kinds of environment. But uh, when we take the precepts, uh, it's not just for, um, you know, our conscious mind, but it's for something deeper inside. Uh, some kind of some deep place of ins you know kind of the place where ritual can touch or art can touch or music can touch poetry can touch some of the deeper uh, places inside that are that um, that need to hear that this is a place of safety that needs to hear that here is a group of people that are committed to uh, being kind and supportive of each other and not going to uh, not uh, you know not going to be involved in causing harm so that something can relax, something can thaw, something can be willing to kind of open up so that we can allow this, so we can show up in the way that Lee talked about, to fully show up because we're not guarded what's going on. And so I think that this idea of, st uh, of starting with the precepts is a very important part of the retreat because of what it does for the 
kind of the subconscious mind or the subconscious heart and and if it's and and if it happens to be needed for the conscious mind then all the better or you know that's good too um and uh, but introducing them, I also just want to emphasize again this idea that they're treasures, they're they're jewels. That the idea in Buddhism is that the ethics, the virtue aspects of the practice, are there to bring joy. Are there to kind of create the conditions that allow some unfolding of happiness and peacefulness and and tranquility, that allows for the deeper emergence of an undistractable mind undistractable heart and so um, when we in a few minutes when we do the precepts together I hope that it's something that um, as you do them that not only do you kind of live into them and feel aligned with them and feel inspired to live this way for these seven days but that it actually brings you some joy that you are doing so and it's an it's nurturing for you it's supportive for you and in doing it so um, the first precept is uh, usually said not to kill. Um, literally, it means not to strike anything that breathes. And so I like to think of it just the basic pre- precept of not intentionally causing harm. Um, but you know, more, more literally, it means more physical harm. And not taking what is not given um, is, uh, you know, it allows us to kind of feel safe in an environment with our things. That uh, we had one retreat here where someone dropped their wallet on the floor downstairs, and uh, somehow didn't know for a day or two, and but someone had picked it up and put it in the lap of the Buddha downstairs, <laughs> and uh, there it sat, safe and content. Uh, with and then at some point he realized his wallet was missing, and there it was. It's so the idea of uh, you know that. That your your things are safe here, and you can kind of relax with that. And then on uh, retreats like this, the precept of um, not engaging in sexual misconduct, which is the lay precept, uh, is understood here to be uh, 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 to practice celibacy, so not to be involved in any kind of sexual involvement with anyone, and uh, put that part of ourselves kind of I don't know if to rest is the right word but put it on the shelf or put it aside uh, enough so it doesn't spill over onto other people here. And so uh, that means even like, you know, it's normal enough from time to time to feel sexually attracted to people. And it happens very occasionally on retreats. And uh, when it does, uh, nothing to be ashamed about. But um, the idea when you follow this precept is you keep it to yourself, keep the energy to yourself. You don't go and sit close to that person just to kind of vibe the person or feel the vibes. You don't hold your gaze or, you know, just to keep it all kind of to yourself so that um, each person can have their own experience of the retreat without the complications of, of romantic energy, whatever goes on. And this is uh, so important to be very careful with this because uh, the people who come on retreats, you don't know what their history is. You don't know what challenges they've had in this in all kinds of worlds, the world of, of harm, the world of not feeling safe in the world, sexual hurt. Um, and, uh, and so it really helps as a gift to the community to create this, a safe place for everyone here where that part of them can, doesn't have to be triggered. 
and then not to lie, not to speak mistruth, uh, is kind of at the heart of vipassana, mindfulness, because I think of it as um, being honest, as being mindfulness out loud. You know, and you, if you start lying, you're going in the very opposite direction. What we're trying to do is to wake up to the truth, to be present for what's true. So it's kind of, you know, really a foundational. And then um, to have this undistractable mind and clear mind, the bright mind, uh, it's, it's really supportive to not take any kind of intoxicating substances at all. Uh, that also kind of goes in the wrong directions. Even though there might be a short-term high, it really goes in a different direction of the depth of clarity we want to have here on the retreat. And so it's also very supportive and a gift to the world that just like with uh, an oasis where there's no devices being used, there's an oasis where um, people who are struggling with addiction issues know that they'll be safe while they're here because no one else is going to be, you know, using substances that way. So those are the precepts. And um, the, what we often on retreat kind of add to that is that the, the sometimes people say that the, the, in the retreat, the fourth precepts of not lying also uh, is a commitment to what's called noble silence. And uh, in the context of the retreat as a whole, that means that uh, it's a silent retreat uh, except for functional speaking that has to happen. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're in your work, you have to speak about something, that's fine to talk then, but about the work, you know, just to, just to take care of things. Um, if, uh, you know, you come talk to Lee or I, it's, it's appropriate to talk to us. And, um, and there might be other times, but uh, the idea is that otherwise uh, there's no social talks, we're keeping the, the week in silence. If you're new to this kind of thing of being in a silent retreat, um, it can seem strange at first. And, uh, and so I just want to normalize that you, if you feel it's strange or feel uncomfortable, it's, you know, that's normal for people the first time. And there's some things that are particularly challenging uh, f uh, for first-timers. And I think one of the things is things like uh, you sit down at the dining room table and uh, there's people there already having their meal. And uh, as you sit down, everyone's looking at their food, silent, not looking up and acknowledging you whatsoever. In the world outside of the retreat, if that happened, it's bad news. And so, because, the, you know, these people are unfriendly, they're ignoring me. And so if we come into the retreat with that kind of understanding, then it can feel very dis disheartening to sit down on the dining room table and have that kind of asocial behavior. But the people here are friendly and they're not being asocial, they're just kind of like communing with their oatmeal. You know, trying to be present and mindful and, and not interested in the, you know, trying not to get pulled into the social world and, you know, we're just kind of staying present. And they're not exactly ignoring you, but they're just trying to be focused on what they're doing. And, um, and chance, so if you feel uncomfortable like that with the first day, you know, you're getting used to it, uh, you probably will get used to it so much so that by the end of the retreat, you don't want the silence to end. Do we have to talk? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Do I, so, do I have to look up my oatmeal? Uh, so, um, so that's you know one one area that people who are new find a little bit rocky at first. And then um, 
the other thing that sets the establishes the the foundation of the retreat is uh, the refuges. They're also called treasures and jewels, and um, and these are here to support us uh, so that we don't have to only rely on our own efforts. So we don't get caught up in the kind of the small self that I have to do it and I'm responsible and I have to kind of huff and puff. But there's something bigger or wider or broader that's here operating um, that is not just our own efforts. We offer our efforts and then something else supports us, something else comes into play that um, meets that effort, meets the conditions we set in place. And then something begins to emerge and to flow and to develop. and to heal and to transform and to resolve and you know whatever the needs are. And so a very important part of the practice is this uh, making space and allowing for something that's not just you, your efforts, allowing something to happen, allowing something to unfold <coughs> and, um, and trusting that. And if we can trust it, then it's easier to allow this deep process to work. So that's what the refuges are partly about. And, um, and they're partly about being inspired, <coughs> you know, and having confidence in what we're doing. Uh, I like to think of the Dharma as the core refuge, and it sits in the middle between the Buddha and the Sangha. <coughs> and the Dharma is really the, that's really the process of transformation. It's the, pos- it's the, it's the teachings the Buddha gave, it's the practices that he taught, and then it's the unfolding, the processes, the movements that happen as we do, as we engage in those teachings and as we do those practices. And this is that this deep upwelling of the 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 conditional processes of our lives, um, beginning to move in a healthy, supportive, transformative direction. To know how far that can go and how thoroughly this transformative process of Dharma can support us, uh, we have the Buddha as the example, as a model, as the trailblazer who found the way. But it's not really just the Buddha that we're taking refuge in. Since the ancient time, what we're taking refuge in is the Buddha's awakening. The fact that someone could allow this deep process of the Dharma to move through them in such a way that they're able to put down their clinging, their resistance, their fears, their hates, their cravings and and, uh, clingings. Someone could resolve the mind and the heart and discover they're completely peaceful. So the heart was at home in itself, settled on itself. Um, Someone could work out all the kinks that there and to have to, to kind of take refuge in that possibility, that capacity of awakening, which is not just the Buddha's capacity, what the Buddha did, <coughs> but we take refuge in our own ability to move in the direction of awakening, move in the direction of this deep transform, transformation of the heart and mind. And then the other side of the Sangha, of the Dharma is the Sangha. And it's very hard to do this practice alone. <clears throat> and I can say with great confidence that I would not have practiced as much as I've done. I've not wouldn't have grown as much as I have in the Dharma 
without <coughs> practicing a community with other people, <coughs> without having feedback, without having uh, um, people mirror me, without the challenges of living in a community of practitioners, without uh, this, the, you know, the momentum and the support of others. And um, it's really a profound thing to practice in community. It's not like a you know, extra thing. It's not like it's something which, you know, it's like you have to put up with. You know, that's, you know, it's just, I guess it's just convenient for the teachers to teach to 40 people at once rather than to go around the country and teach one at a time. So they get them all together and I just have to put up with all these people. Um, I, I, I think, I think for at IRC, I think this number is like a perfect number of, in terms of community. It's, um, we have enough, we take care of each other and we're not too many, but it's, we're just enough to where there can be um, a, the right balance of things. It can be enough, um, th- th- we can be intimate enough, connected enough as a community. We can be somehow, and also it's, it's big enough so you don't have to feel like you're responsible for everyone all the time or always connected because it's, it's, you, know, you can get a little bit lost, but, you know, but also at the same time. Um, and it's a good number of te- uh, people for two teachers to teach. And I think that for uh, the Dharma to unfold, it's often very good to have this kind of collaborative approach of two teachers and this number of people. And so in many ways, uh, uh, community is so important. And we're supported by it in ways that are maybe unseen. It's a profound thing to practice in community. And um, so we take refuge in the community, meaning that there's something about practicing in community and having a having the reference of other people that can support us in times when the practice is challenging. That we're not just doing it alone. Other people have gone, have been where you've been. Other people can give advice. Other people can be models of how to practice. Other people's strength of practice and, and commitment. Um, you know, look at that person. She's, she's showing up and it seems like every other, every other sitting she's crying the whole time. But she's, she's always showing up. Wow, if she can keep showing up and sitting there with whatever is happening behind those tears, I'll show up too. You know, I just have, you know, you know, I just have a headache. You know, I can, de- you know, if, if I can deal with a headache if she can deal with whatever those tears are about. So there's many ways. So that to take refuge in a community is to allow yourself to be supported and feel confident in what you're doing and to trust there's much more going on here then your conscious self is aware of. And it's here to support you. It's a good thing. So we'll, we'll do the uh, little ritual <coughs> of the refuges and the precepts out loud. And just to repeat, I mean, part of the reason we do it out loud is because we're not just speaking to the conscious mind, we're t- speaking to the subconscious. We're teaching to the, you know, something much, much bigger here and coming together in unison uh, through shared speaking. So um, we'll do the refuges first, and um, I'll do I'll chant one line at a time, and then you can repeat after me. And um, if you don't know it, the first uh, uh, line that's chanted is just a salutation to the Buddha, and we do it three times, and then we do the refuge, and um, Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha. And the way the refuges are worded, it says um, Buddham, Saranam, which means refuge, Gachami. And 
gachami is a um, so the most basic uh, word that means to walk. And it's uh, when it's, it has to do with the precepts, people say, I, I go for refuge to the precepts, or I take, the, I take refuge. I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, or I go for. But I love the idea it's walk. Because uh, when you walk, you take all of yourself with you. So we bring all of ourselves along into the refuges. So, Buddham Saranam Gachami. So, so I'll do a whole one line and then you repeat after me. Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arato Samma Sambuddhasa. <coughs> Namo tasa bhagavato aharato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambuddhasa Saranangachami Dhammam Saranangachami Sangam Saranangachami Duti ampi buddham saranangachami. Duti ampi buddham saranangachami. Duti ampi dhammam saranangachami. Duti ampi sangham saranangachami. Duti ampi. Oh, did I do that right? All three? I lost track. Yeah. yeah. I did, huh? Okay. Sangha. We still need to do Sangha? Okay. Wow. Indistractable mind. Duty ampi sang. Duty ampi sangam saranangachami. Tati ampi buddham saranangachami. Tati ampi buddham saranangachami. Tati ampi dhammam saranangachami. Tati ampi dhammam saranangachami. 
Tatiampi Sangam Saranangachami And then for the precepts, we'll, I'll chant one half a line, and then you repeat, and then I'll do the second half. For the sake of our training together, I commit to not taking life. For the sake of our training together, I commit to not taking what is not given. For the sake of our training together, I commit to not engaging in sexual misconduct. For the sake of our training together, I commit to not lying. For the sake of our training together, I commit to not intoxicating myself. Thank you. So we can take about three minutes just to sit quietly and begin the entry into our silent retreat into the world of a Buddha's mind. <coughs> 